What's up, Myco family? Welcome to the Microtrophic Podcast, a weekly conversation series cultivating a culture for cultivators. Designed for the passionate enthusiast, master mycologist, healers growing their own medicine, and psychonauts alike, this podcast is for mind, body, spirit, and mushroom. If this is your first time listening, consider subscribing for future episodes. Also, if you like what you hear today, make sure to share with your family and friends. Also, you can leave us a positive review on whatever platform you're listening on, whether that be Apple iTunes Music or Spotify. Now, with that said, let's get into it. What's up, Michael family? Michael Trific here. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, I have another interview. This one is with, you guys guessed it, another community favorite grower. Uh, he's also an educator and he's really, I would say, well-grounded in science and I'm ready to pick his brain, get to know him a little better. And uh, I actually know him as the king of corn. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today too. Uh, everybody welcome Mike Oblast to the show. What's up, dude? Thanks for coming on today. Hey, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to get this going and here it goes. Yeah. Get some questions in here. Yeah, man. Well, first of all, um, yeah, you were one of the first people in the community that I was aware of and I've been following your content for years. So I thought it was only right to have you on the show. Uh, today there's many topics we can go, uh, down, but uh, first I kind of want to get like your backstory. Let's just kind of start there. So for those who don't know you, when did you get interested in mycology? How did, how did it come into your life? Was it through your work in biotech or was it out of hobby and interest? Um, tell me, tell me that. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm, in, I'm actually a classically trained botanist. Um, I have a degree in environmental and plant biology. Um, and I've always been obsessed with plants my entire life. Um, and it's kind of like natural progression as plant people that you start learning about, obviously the mycorrhizal connections that are inside of plants that like connect the entire forest and nutrient system. Um, so it was more of a natural progression of being into plants and then mushrooms, I'd say like, you know, by the age of like 15, I was already very obsessed with, um, one plant, you know, and two um, mushrooms at that time specifically more into um, like oyster and reishi mushroom the first mushroom i ever grew was a reishi mushroom um and um yeah that's kind of how i got introduced into it um i converted my parents basement at 18 into an oyster mushroom farm um and i was super excited to do that um, but i got a job in arizona actually doing uh, um, extraction um, CO2 extraction. So I, I moved out there. Um, but that was kind of how I got introduced into fungus. And obviously there's a natural progression into certain type of mushrooms. Um, and being in college, um, you know, wanted to dabble a little and see it. Um, so I, I did it all myself. You know, I didn't trust anybody. You know, I thought it was super sketch and everything looked super weird. Um, so I was like, let me look this up. Went on a bunch of forums and things to kind of figure out, um, you know, these other types of mushrooms. Um, and then from there, you know, I've kind of been growing for 10 years, starting always with corn. The first, first grow I ever did was uh, corn that I cooked and I put it in jars and I steamed them for two hours and a spore syringe right into there, which is 
hilarious because now you know <laughs> nobody wants to do any of that. But I had great success. I, I never had a single contamination, knock on wood, um, you know, during that beginning time. And then from there, it kind of just progressed into all of the techniques, even for like our oysters and reishi, um, fruiting inside of the bag um, really helped us be able to, now that I'm in, um, you know, Southern California, the space is much more limited than in Ohio. Um, so we had to learn how to kind of like redo everything that we're doing. Um, so from tubs all the way to bags, um, and now, you know, that's kind of just the catch up, at least on my fungal things as like a hobbyist. Um, and then the other part of it is I, I work for a, a biotech company that was actually using human stem cells to make um, cosmetic products and anti-aging products and things like that. Um, and then they hired us to kind of bring in plant and fungal compounds that do the same thing that wow. um, human cells do. Um, and there I was running, you know, 500 liter reactors of mycelium and we would harvest the mycelium out of the out of the cultures to extract certain metabolites or chemicals from them um so that's my background as far as you know mycology and, and fermentation <laughs> interesting so you've been doing it a long time you had a you were a fanatic for it before it was even cool and it's cool that you have right. a, and you have a passion behind it. i think that's the only way that anybody does anything consistently for long periods of time is you have to have some level of passion. And it's clear that you do too. And it's really cool. You're a classically trained botanist. I didn't know that about you. I just knew you worked in biotech. So let's, uh, I'm a sidestep here. What is it with the corn? Anybody who knows you, dude, knows that you are all about corn. Now, now is it, now my question, is it for, is it just personal preference? Is it nutrient density? Is it like the, the inoculation points, like, tell me yeah. about, tell me what goes into your, your choice for corn out of like rye, Milo. For sure. I will. I'm going to preface this on saying that the best grain that works for you yeah. is the cheapest grain that is nearest to you. Yeah. Right. So right. I'm going to start with that before downing any grains. Um, I think per pound, you know, of, of wet weight to pound of, of wet weight also for fruiting that is the conversion that you care about now i am the certified corn king right i yes. love corn i get the question every single day <laughs> why is corn better than other grains um and my first one that i'll start off with which may not be that important to everybody but it's why we made our account right our, our mycoblast account is completely for outreach that was why it was made you know, we were taken down, but originally when we had a lot more pictures and stuff, it was so that people could see exactly the entire process. And part of that um, is kind of my experience, right? So I have all the Paul Stanek books. I have all the my, mycology books that you could imagine for growing. And it always is talking about rye and yep. how rye is such a great grain. And I agree, rye is a great grain. But the issue is for someone like me, I couldn't find rye. It's not in my stores. It's not accessible. It's not local. Amazon didn't exist the way that it did when I was going to school. Right. Um, so you couldn't just order rye. So my number one reason for corn is because it's accessible. It's to any single person, no matter who you are, you can go to Walmart, you can go to Target, you can go somewhere mm. and you can buy a bag of popcorn. Yeah. And now you're able to take that medicine into your own hands. You can copy you know, everybody's tech the same way doing it yourself with corn. So my number one reason is that it's accessible to everybody, right? Right. Now, my 
my second reason is the nutritional content. So there is a really great balance of protein, starch, and sugar in corn. Mm. Very well recognized and studied. Um, that combination, from what I have seen, is fantastic for mycelial growth. Um, corn can take a lot more water in before it kind of like, I wouldn't say that it won't burst, but like break apart or disintegrate. I know sometimes it's like, if you've seen like millet, even rye, sometimes when you cook it, they'll burst open and become mushy. Even so there's more yeah. of like a, yeah, even oats, that there is that, that time period that you have to hit where again, corn gives you that longer span of time that you can get a lot more moisture in there before the kernels are breaking. And because the corn is so large, even when they break, it's pretty much a whole kernel. Like, it, you know, it doesn't disintegrate. It just, like, fractures. Mm. Um, so that that's one of the other reasons. Um, I feel like there's, you know, I have too many, too many reasons of why corn is great. Um, and the third reason is obviously the affordability. Um, yeah. We, you know, we have a grain company also, Los Malos de Los Heros. Um, and when we did our, like, pricing... Um, you know, it, it works in everybody's budget to use corn for us. It works for us and for our consumer um, to be able to get a really effective, you know, productive bulk grow where it's not eating into the profit so much for the grain. That is personally, you know, you know, that's a personal thing. But those three reasons right there are kind of are like the main foundation of why we choose corn. Um, I'm a, I'll address this because a lot of people like to hate on corn because of the um, pesticides and things like that are sprayed on it. Mm. Um, you know, uh, all of the agricultural crops are most likely sprayed equally. So that yeah. shouldn't really be too much of an argument unless you go over to organic, um, you know, which is fantastic, but it's going to raise your prices. Um, two, that pesticide, um, one needs to get a low enough level to be sold. And even if it was still existing, I think it degrades around 45 degrees Celsius you already know we're running these pressure cookers at 121 if you're at 15 psi. So the degradation of those chemicals is also handled if there was any carryover. Interesting. Um, I know that's the biggest reason that people have concern. And then they're like, oh, it's GMO. Um, again, I, part of being a classically trained botanist, I specialize in creating genetically modified plants. That's like my specialty is in molecular biology. Um, so I understand very well um, you know, what is safe, what's going on. Um, and there's more political reasons of the whole glyphosate and corn and GMO. So when you separate that and look more into the science of the actual kernel and the grain, it's great. Oh, one more point. Um, I know a lot of people will say millet or rye is a fantastic, which they are, because there are smaller points of inoculation. That is like a really big thing that people will always point out. Yeah. I have found that the corn, because of the spatial gapping, because the grains are so large, the mycelium actually bridges in between that. So mm. the surface area per mycelium is actually larger in corn than a smaller grain. That's my opinion. Interesting. Um, yeah. I but can see that. Those are my reasons for corn. Yeah. Because, I mean, when you look at the bag, it's not like the corn is the only thing colonized. It's a brick. So even that inner space, because of the amount of sugar content that's in the grain, it just eats it right up and bridges right across. Got you. Yeah, I like to talk yeah. about the 
taboos in the industry all the time. Like for instance, I just had 90 second mycology on and everybody hates on the 90 second rice, but there are entire forums. There are entire Reddit pages, Facebook pages dedicated just to it. And if it works for you, it works for you. And I liked your first point on corn, like, you know, whatever works for you works for you. But I do like the accessibility portion. The affordability does make sense. So for even for like beginner consumers, I think that's a great option. And I've always thought of that, you know, like in my liquid culture recipe, I use uh, corn star or corn syrup, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I always have great results. So yeah, well, I love corn too. I've yet to use it, but this is just another uh, experiment for me to do in the future. I, I think maybe I'll do that. I'll go to Walmart or whatever's, you know, target wherever, you know, the, um, yeah. fries or whatever's around you and just grab a bag and, and try it out. Do you, do you find, uh, um, is it one of those things you have to pressure cook? I think I've seen you, uh, just pouring no. it into the actual pressure cooker itself, not putting it in jars yeah. or bags. It's, it's not required at all. Um, well, so the two separate, so how we make corn is obviously there is a cooking and hydration step, which is like the first step. And then the second step is like the bagging and then actual, um, we actually have transitioned out of pressure cookers now that we are more of an established bulk grain company. Um, mm-hmm. and we're using, um, sterilizer. So the 150 liter standing sterilizers. Um, so we actually pressure cook or, you know, sterilize around 20 to 25 PSI. Um, so, so I will say that, but originally when I would make my corn, I would put the corn halfway full inside of a pressure cooker, fill it with water about three inches above the grain, close the pressure cooker, and then I would pressure cook it for 45 minutes. And then that would give me the perfectly hydrated grain. It's also going through a small pressure cooking step of 45 minutes. So it kind of cleans the corn that's there. I don't soak or anything like that. I just go directly into cooking. And then after those 45 minutes, I dump it in a sink, rinse it really well with water, put it in a jar or a bag, and then pressure cook it for two and a half hours at 15 PSI. Interesting. Okay, cool. That's kind of cool to know that. I think I'll, I'll probably use that tech actually as my, my first experiment. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty great. If not, if you don't want to pressure cook the corn, you just have to cook it like for two hours. You're just making sure that when you push your finger through the corn, that there's no dry sensor anymore. Makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's kind of cool how big they expand as well. Yeah, I, I like what you said about the surface area. Like, yeah, you want, like, for smaller grain, obviously, there's going to be more points. But if you do have that, like, big wide surface area, I can see how it could, could possibly colonize faster. And it seems as if you get, you know, outstanding results. So I'm going to go ahead and say it just it works great. So Yeah, and I'm a big person about when you're comparing things, it's about weight output. Right. So mm-hmm. I don't care that there's more space or less space. I'm still putting in three or whatever your number is, three pounds or one pound of corn in. So my when I do my math, I'm like, what does one pound of wet grain equal into wet weight of mushroom? And those are the only things that I compare. So I'm like, OK, a pound of corn in gives me, you know, an ounce out or you know, a pound of rye in gives me two. And then I can compare the the differences between each other. But right. a lot of times when people are like hating on corn or, you know, any other grain, um, they're not comparing the exact same setup. It's like you're comparing one pound versus three pounds. And then you're saying that it's better because the flush is bigger. But in my head, I'm like, well, what was the wet weight in and what's the wet weight out? That's all I care about. Yeah. As and, far as conversion. And something that comes to my mind always is in this conversation is, the variety. So like I've seen people on Facebook 
in gourmet communities, they will, they took, there's a guy, he took a pair of denim jeans, chopped it up, like, like basically like shredded it. And he used that as his, um, as his quote grain for, for oyster mushrooms. And they just eat that shit up. Yeah. So it really kind of depends on the mushroom or the mycelium itself, I think too. For sure. That's cool. Definitely. So you've got this, you know, obviously, you know, everybody who listens to me or knows me knows I'm a proponent for uh, microalchemy, but I want to talk a little bit about your company. Um, what, when did you guys start and, and how is your business going and, and um, what do you think sets you apart and, and where, where should people um, try to find you for that? Yeah. Um, well, our, our company is called Los Malos Eloteros. We have an Instagram for it. Um, that's definitely the best place to reach me. To reach me. Um, we also have a website that's called modernfarmla.com that we do kind of like a little bit of smaller stuff on, but our green bags are there. Um, but yeah, we started last year officially, you know, um, we're a registered business um, in the Southern California. Um, and we're doing really well. Yeah. I would say like our specialty obviously is corn. Um, that's all we do. We won't touch any other grain. We won't do any other grain. Um, so if you don't want corn, don't come that way. But, uh, (laughs) as far as corn, yeah, I mean, I would definitely say I've been a large proponent of it. Again, I've been using corn for over 10 years. I've used rye, oats, millet, you know, I've tried them all. We grow cordyceps on rice. Um, Mm -hmm. also, but, um, corn is the staple, um, in our company and in my life in general, I have a tattoo of corn on me, you know, (laughs) not surprised. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Big fan of corn. Um, so yeah, we're doing super well. Um, you can kind of just reach out to us if you want to do bulk. Um, again, you can go to our website if it's a little bit of smaller things. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it's coasting by. It's great. I love being a grain company. I realize, you know, it's a lot of hard work that people don't want to do. Um, and, uh, you know, I always said, which gives kind of me like a little bit of peace, but like I know for a fact that, you know, if your first grow doesn't go well, you're going to quit. Not always, yeah. but like 75% of people, like if you inoculate a bag and it got moldy and ruined, you're probably not going to do it again. So yeah. I know for sure if you get a bag from us, you know, and obviously your culture needs to be good, but all you got to do is really spray that with alcohol and inject it and you're good to go. It's, right. You know, it's that simple and it's the assurance. Um, and that's what we kind of pride ourselves in. You know, we guarantee our grains. Um, if there's any issues, you know, we'll just kind of consult a little bit just to make sure it's on the grain side. Um, but, you know, we refund or replace any bags um, that go bad on our, on our side. Um, so we're really trying to shoot for the customer service part that maybe is missing a little bit um, in the grain industry, at least where we are. Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of what I pride myself in. And, and our team is, you know, really providing great customer service, great products. Um, we're very knowledgeable. Everyone on our team has done certain grows, either medicinal, um, edibles, all those types. So. Um, it's good to have each person of the team, you know, be knowledgeable. So I know that each step is being done correctly. That makes sense. And that, that gives me a feel good, you know? Um, and I think you're right. Like not everybody has the mindset, like if you fail then to continue, but obviously failures are how you learn. And if you persevere, that's how you grow. But, um, to have a guaranteed product, that's also really cool too. So, um, now are you guys dipping into substrates or you guys are just doing mostly grain for the most part? Nope. Yeah, most we're just doing grains right now. Um, yeah, we're not not planning to do substrate at all. Um, you know, I 
I'm also a firm believer in if you do something really well, sometimes stick to it. Yeah. Um, and I think for us, um, if we expand out to substrate, uh, one, there are amazing companies already. We're actually an affiliate of Twisted Tree. Um, so we kind of just, you know, shoot people there. I know you have Michael Alchemy also for a fantastic substrate. And, there, you know, there's tons, tons of companies out here right. that are being fantastic um, and have the capacity to feed these people. Um, so it's not something that we're venturing into right now, not really planning to. Um, my goal is more grain expansion and really guaranteeing those grains. I mean, that's my biggest thing. I've seen a couple companies pop up here and there, you know, and, you know, I had some friends buy lots of grain from them and, you know, a thousand out of a thousand bags went bad. <laughs> and, uh, wow. you know, I'm trying to make sure that we can be the people that are showing the success. So we're, yeah, we're just sticking with grain for now. Gotcha. Well, yeah, it's double down on what you're good at, man. That's, that's like, that's a key right there. So I've got a. So I've yeah. got a, the next question is of all the varieties that you've grown, have you got any like have you gotten any extreme satisfaction or good experiences? I know there's so many different like you know there's obviously medical, uh, mental, spiritual um, advantages of consuming mushrooms. But what is your what is your biggest or why are you such a proponent of mycology, and, and what's like a favorite variety? Yeah. Um. Well. I mean, I, again, coming from a biotech standpoint in extractions, I really, um, you know, realize the importance of fungus in general. Um, we made a bunch of antibiotics, vaccines, probiotics, you know, certain, certain chemicals. You know, I even worked on projects with um, taking genes out of cannabis and putting them into fungus so that they could produce THC and CBD type of compounds. Whoa. Um, yeah, so they, they have a lot of ability and they're because they're so close to mammals, um, the proteins that they make and the chemicals that they make actually interact with humans very well. Um, so I mean, I'm a big proponent because of their medicinal capabilities, right? Without penicillin and things like that, we would have, you know, billions of people that have died. Um, so that's the main reason why I like it. Uh, my favorite variety uh, right now, I'm really into uh, Cordyceps. Um, and then a small little side project, which I won't talk too much on, but I'm working on a black truffle, um, type of culture. And I, I am devoted to cracking the fruiting of black truffles without the symbiosis of trees. Mm. Um, because, you know, morels, um, chanterelles, they've all been already cultivated without their symbiosis tree. Um, so those are the two that have my super high research interest. Um, and then as far as, you know, a, uh, a more therapeutic medicinal type, uh, you know, white teacher is, is my go-to, um, for its variability, its growth, its vigorousness. Um, it's, it's easily a culture that you can manipulate to make new phenotypes without creating a whole new genetic line. Um, so by just changing environmental factors, you can get literally a, a completely different looking um, type of response, which I love. Um, they also do fantastic with oxygen deprivation to stop their spore loads. So I'm a big mm -hmm. fan of any any cultivar that you can inhibit their spores from dropping by changing, you know, environmental factors. Right. Um, so yeah, I would say those two, and then cordyceps. I'm just blowing up right now. I just every time I get brown rice, I can't help myself. I just make more containers. So 
Gotcha. We'll see. I'm actually, I've got, yeah. I've got a culture from terrestrial fungi. It's been sitting in my fridge for months now and I'm just about ready to hop onto cordyceps. Um, I was reminded again of how cool they were. Um, this might be the wrong reason to be reminded of, but, um, that show, I'm, I don't know if you've seen it or not. The last, the, the, the last of us. Yeah. 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 It was, it was, I a, haven't seen it, but I, I know all about it. Yeah. Interesting concept. And I don't want to give the entire show away, but in the beginning there's an interview that seems to be something like in the seventies or eighties, something like that. Like I think they're smoking on television, but, um, the guys basically said, you know, um, well, he's like, well, cordyceps can't live in humans that, you know, their, their body temperature is not, not low enough or it's too low. And, uh, he says, well, what about with global warming and the, the average human temperature going to like 96 plus, and that's kind of where like it starts. So now we've got this, like, I don't know if people are becoming more familiarized with it or if they're freaked out about cordyceps, but, um, it is a fascinating mushroom and the benefits are, are amazing. I get that, that natural, I'm like a caffeine addict, you know, I'm not going to lie. It's one of my vices. Yeah. I had a coffee today already. Um, basically do every day, but, um, that natural energy that you get from cordyceps, like natural stamina is, is actually really cool. Um, I I've yet to grow it. I know it grows in, in like colder temperatures. I'm not even sure I'd have to watch, you know, several YouTube videos again to really learn, but yeah. Um, and, uh, you yeah, have to, it, you it's have to, cooler, cooler temp, but I will say with, and I hope I don't get too much slack for this, but cordyceps are behind a gate wall, uh, you know, gatekeeping kind of wall where a lot of the information out there is over and extra to kind of almost prevent people from growing. I feel, really? um, yeah because when you look up cordyceps they're like oh you're gonna need a fridge and then put lights inside the fridge and all that Mm. that's not true at all you know i have racks inside my living room that are full of cordyceps trays and containers and they're doing fantastic now in the summer i will have a problem because they do need that cooler temperature um but yeah they're fantastic they're a lot more resilient than you would think Um, they do require light though, which is a little different than, you know, some of the other mushrooms that people usually grow. Right. Um, but it's been found that blue light kind of helps all mushrooms. It doesn't really matter gotcha. what time. It helps all of them. And um, we- but yeah, no, it's fantastic. And the price per pound of cordyceps is almost, and depending on who you get it to, the same price per pound of bulk of other medicinal mushrooms. So it's something to think about as the legality moves or changes or swings or depends what state you're in. You know, this is an option that you get to enjoy all of those things with maybe a little less of like anxiety. Gotcha. Now, when you say cooler temperatures, what, what is like an ideal temperature for cordyceps? I don't want to say ideal. I'm not a master over here. Terrestrial fungi though. Fantastic vendor and person. Um, Or mycelial mines, if you follow them. Um, they're doing amazing work with, uh, cordyceps, but, um, you know, I'm able to fruit mine all the way up to like 72, 73 <laughs> degrees. Really? Um, and the, the cold doesn't bother them too much, but I would definitely say within the range of like 65 to 70, um, is where I grow mine and they do absolutely fantastic. I just use brown rice and then, uh, the broth that you mix it with, it's just water and peptone, 2% peptone. And you just put them together and pressure cook it and it's done. Yeah. That's, you know? in, so that's, that is an interesting thing that you, you don't use like plates you, and you're just doing your inoculant straight to your, your, I guess, is it pasteurized? Cause you, you just turn on like a, what, like a rice cooker. And once you take it out, put it in the front of the flow hood, you're pretty not much cook- me, n- not me. Uh, that's what, that's what people do on YouTube. Um, 
I'm a, I'm a cautious about contamination. Um, and I believe in sterilization, even if, you know, if I were to make substrate, I would not pasteurize. I'm a, I'm a sterilization type of person. Yeah. Um, so I actually put the brown rice in the pressure cooker and then pressure cook it for 40 minutes. Gotcha. It makes yeah. sense. Man, this conversation's getting me all pumped up, dude. I think I want to try this because, uh, Are you sure? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, not only just to have some for myself, but it would be kind of cool to try and find, um, stream of income from that. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be producing packs of cordyceps anytime soon, but yeah, it does sound good. And you're, and you're doing this. I know a lot of people do this in jars. I saw, what's his name? He's like, he's been on Netflix. I forget this young man's name. We all love and enjoy his content, but he, um, I've seen a lot of people do jars, but you do these trays. Is this stuff that you're just getting like off of, um, Amazon? And then I guess you're putting it yeah. into like, are you using like an XLSA bag to, to cover it kind yep. of thing? Yeah, exactly. Um, again, uh, my serial minds on Instagram, he's killing it with the trays and I'm kind of just following exactly what he did. Um, another really common thing that people do, which I actually did because I had to find the right containers, but is using deli containers. Oh, so yeah, yeah. like the, yeah, the 16 ounce uh, deli containers or 32 ounce containers. Um, and then you just make you, if you make it in a rice cooker, you'll just put them out and put them in there. So when you buy deli containers, they come sterile because they're plastic, uh, plastic injection molding. So I actually also use those for my Petri dishes. Oh. Um, I just use the like, containers and then pour them half full. So it's super thick. Um, and then that's how I like keep my cultures, you know, active and they're good on those containers for like seven months. Interesting. So. That's good to know. Yeah. And you mentioned peptides. So I know it's not just your regular, light malt extract, corn syrup kind of concoction. What What is what is the, the ingredients that's most commonly used? I've seen people, they put like iron powders, they put all kinds of extra yeah. stuff. What's what's the deal with that? And why do you use, I mean, why do you use those? Yeah, um, again, those are like the people who originally figured out how to grow corn Um And I think they were trying to mimic or make a concoction that was similar to like the nutrients of an insect. Yeah. Um, I, I know people sometimes will even buy like pupa and then blend them up and use like the bug slurry um, as a thing. But I've done this many times now and it seems like since I'll, the only thing I'm adding is peptone um, is that there needs to be a large nitrogen source for the cordyceps in order to make their compounds. Interesting. Because um, if you take just rice and inoculate it with like a culture, you'll probably still get cordyceps to grow it just will be low in cordyceps and you'll get like a very low yield Interesting from it. Yeah. So the extra stuff is kind of just like uh, people experimenting and then they saw that their yields increased and got better and better and better. And then now they just have their way that they do it. Um, my recipe that I do, I did not make it. I stole it from a university, right? They published a paper showing that this media composition on ground rice will give you a good yield. And it also shows you the percentage of the compound that you're making. Hmm. Um, so I just follow that because at least I have a standard to go by, right? I can right. kind of be like, well, it's making this much based off of that paper. I don't know exactly, but you know, that's just my guess. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I would love to get that recipe from you at some point in time. We are going to take a quick break uh, to play an ad and then we'll get right back to it. Okay. Perfect. Sounds good. All right. One sec. This episode sponsor is brought to you by Michael Alchemy. 
Mycoalchemy is a family-owned and operated mycology supply business based out of Lake Elsinore, California. The guys over at Mycoalchemy are dedicated to their craft and focused on providing clean, consistent, and quality mycology products ready for pickup or shipped directly to your door. Guys, I haven't poured my own agar, made my own substrate, or pressure sterilized grain in months. Whether you're a beginner or master mycologist, Mycoalchemy's products will save you time, money, and worry. Not only do these guys have excellent, high-quality products, but they're also some of my really good friends and mentors. So if you guys want to utilize some of their products in your grow, you guys can go to myco-alchemy.com. And if you're listening to this ad, you can receive 5% off your next order by using the discount code mycotrophic. Also, you can check them out on their Instagram at mycoalchemy underscore. I know that you'll enjoy their products just like I do. So good growing. Let the guys at Mycoalchemy know that Mycotrophic sent you. All right. And we are back. So before we left for our commercial break, we were talking about cordyceps. Did you want to have a, a, a basic rundown? Do you have that recipe on mind or do you want to give this to me um, like maybe after and I'll put it in a video or something? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'll just, I'll, it's literally, you know, uh, 20 grams of peptone for a liter of water. But I'll send you the the recipe so that it's a little more written out. But you're just going to literally take 20 grams of peptone, put it in a liter of water, shake it up till it's dissolved, and then you do a one-to-one ratio of rice to broth. Gotcha. But I will send you, yeah, a little written thing of it. Maybe you can post it or rewrite it up there. But very, very simple. And when you're using cultures from um, terrestrial fungi, like deer solid, they're very fast-growing, clean, um, and he does such beautiful crosses also. Um, he keeps track of everything. So he knows the exact location that it was pulled from, how many crosses it's gone through, who their mother and father is. Um, so he's fantastic. Do you find that um, there's that term, is, I don't even know if I'm saying it right, it's uh, senes- senescence? Senescence. Do you find that there's some um, degradation of the genetics yeah. over time or that you have to breed these every once in a while? Personally, no. Um, I have heard that many times, but I've had cultures that have sat in the fridge for over a year um, and they grow fine. Um, One of the ways that you can test if your culture, I've heard, is the nesting is to plate it on agar and then once it's fully colonized, move it into the light. If it turns neon orange like cordyceps, then you're good to go. Um, If it does not change colors and stays white, you should not use it. Interesting. Little pro tip for you yeah. guys. That's awesome. Well, yeah. I guess in the future I will I'll give you I'll give you personally an update because uh, I'm gonna try this and um, yeah because I just put some of terrestrial fungi's what is it the Ganodermis sessile it's GSM what is it? I forget the mm. um I, I can, uh multiplum that multiplum that's that's one I've, I've got that on some agar right now I'm really excited to be doing uh, more gourmets um, like that and. Uh, yeah, I think cordyceps would be a just a, a really cool addition. So, uh, is there is there any other um, any other fungi that you're you're really interested in, or you're growing on the side, or learning about? Yeah, we're actually also doing reishi right now. Um, we got a terrestrial culture. I I don't remember the the name of it. It's one of the large antler types. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's something I'm super interested in. And I, I started with reishi in the beginning. Yeah. Um, and I haven't touched it in probably eight years. So I'm very excited also to get back in it and 
uh, kind of started doing like these art forms. I don't know if you've seen like people yeah. like pack conch shells and then they start making like antlers or skulls and they have antlers. I think that's very cool. And reishi is um, one of my top medicinal mushrooms as far as immunity and health. Yeah, um, I agree. So it would just be great to grow. Yeah, and it's not that cheap. Um, like if you're trying to like buy antlers or, or actual like full mushroom bodies from people, um, it's either really expensive or not accessible at all. Really? Um, usually I can just find like powders or if you go to like Chinatown, you know, they have some monster uh, giant ones, but not not the kind I'm looking for. I want like a bundle of wands, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, it makes sense. What do you, I mean, what is the price point on those for the most part? Do you have a, a number? No, I have, I have no idea. Yeah, honestly, um, usually when I find someone who has a bunch of antlers, they are not willing to give them up. So. Interesting. Gotcha. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. These are all just ventures. I'm, I'm super interested in again and I've got some time to do so. So might as well, but um, yeah, I guess going yeah. forward and so there's so many of these projects going on. You're, you've told me um, you don't have to tell me everything. You don't have to give all your personal deets here, but yeah. you're moving uh, like right now, actually you move tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So we're, we're moving up to the Bay area, but um it's a 50 50 so I, I still have our our company here in southern california um that's going to be running so i'll be flying back and forth every other weekend um but yeah moving expanding um you know doing a little bit more of my biotech side um i'm a pretty great molecular biologist so i want to make a couple more gmos before i retire that term GMO, I feel like it just freaks people out. What are, what are the, what are some of the, the common misconceptions from your point of view and experience? And what would you say are some of the, the good things that people can, you know, maybe like yeah. reframe their mind on GMO? Yeah. Well, the first part is usually GMO. As soon as you hear that, you think Monsanto and you start thinking pesticides and you're like, Oh, there's pesticides over everything and it's poisonous. But in this specific case, right, I believe every GMO should be evaluated on its own and it can't be blanketed with anybody else because they're so unique. Um, but say like this specific case with this uh, pesticide resistance, um, one, what we do for that is we put a gene that already existed, right? So say we screen a bunch of corn or we screen all these animals and we find out that this one animal is resistant to glyphosate, right? That's the one that people are most uh, normal hear about. Right. Um, then we take that gene out and we put it inside of the plant. We grow it up, make sure that it can't be inherited through genes. So that way it won't spread anywhere. It goes through all these evaluations, food safety testing. Um, and again, the plant does not have the pesticides in there. It's just resistant. So if you spray that plant with pesticides, it won't die. But then anything near it will die because it doesn't have that gene. Gotcha. The problem here is now the political part. It now has nothing to do with the plant. And the issue is the companies that are growing these plants are growing them in South America and Asia and all these other countries. And they don't care about their workers. So because they know that the plants are resistant to pesticides, they come in with these planes and big crop dusters and spray the fields while the people are still there. Whoa. Um, and they cover them with this pesticide, which is carcinogenic. It is, you know, bad. Um, and also, um, they don't rinse or wash it right. So there's residual that's left over. So 
it's more a discussion about the mismanagement of their IPM, their insect pest management control is not being done right. It's being oversprayed. It's being sprayed without the proper equipment at the wrong time of the day, um, all of those type of things. So that's like the big thing to kind of get that misconception out. But um, me and you would not be alive most likely if you're into vaccines. Um, you would not be alive without these type of plants or yeah. these bacteria that are GMO because they make everything. All of the medicine that you take is usually made that way. I mean, I mean, any any shot that you've been given at the doctor's was made through a bacteria, fungus, plant, or animal cell right. that was most likely genetically modified to produce those compounds. Um, to give you peace of mind, um, the way that I do this is called agrobacterium transformation. Agrobacterium is a normal bacteria that lives in the soil. I don't know if you've ever gone hiking and you see these trees that have these giant tumors on them. Yeah. They're like these big giant masses. That is a natural GMO. The bacteria went in, transformed the plant to make a tumor so that it could feed off of it. And pretty much what we did is we took that bacteria and we put our own genes inside of it, and then we still just leave it to the natural process where we dump the bacteria on the plant, and then naturally the bacteria takes the genes out and puts in the genes that it wants. Gotcha. So it is a natural process. GMOs gotcha. are happening around you all the time. It's about the design, right? If I decide to make, like, arsenic in a bacteria, then, like, yeah, I'm a terrorist, and it could kill everybody. Right. But at the same time, I could create a vaccine that now – you know, we'll save everybody from a certain disease. So it's more about, uh, you know, the proper ethical part of creating GMOs that and the sense. quality of life, right? right? I personally, as a plant person, I don't mess with animals. So mm -hmm. sometimes that can bother people because, you know, we don't know everything. So sometimes when you're trying to figure out what you need to, um, like for Parkinson's or Alzheimer's, you know, rats and mice don't have that. So the only way that you can do that is by genetically modifying them so that they will have Alzheimer's so that we can learn how to treat them mm. for humans. So it becomes a tricky space, but, uh, you know, you have to use your own ethics and morality to balance what you think is right. Um, but in the plant space, you know, we're pretty good. We have we have heavy FDA regulation. It takes five to ten years for us to be even to release a plant that we create it takes three to five years just to create that plant wow um yeah but i love it and it's fantastic yeah there's lots of plants that are poisonous um and you can actually remove the poisonous gene out of them and now they're non-toxic plants that you can use um a lot of benefits and with mushrooms uh, i've done a lot of genetically modifying of, of actually corn smut <laughs> which mm. is uh you know used to lago um, and, and some other funguses. So there's a lot of potential. Is that the uh, one that, is that the one that like the, uh, the corn kernels, they grow extremely large, they turn like oh. blue and things like that. Yeah. Yep. And you can eat it. It's like a delicacy. Wow. I did not know that. Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, a lot, a lot of potential. Gotcha. Now I know that you are and have worked in the cannabis space. Is, are you going to be doing something similar in your new job? No. Um, <laughs> I personally have chosen, um, we have a, you know, my cacti fanatici. That's where I do all of my cactus, all my, Oh yeah. We got to talk about that. Work. We got to talk about that too. Yeah. 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 Um, but 
uh, I have personally found the cannabis space is not the most welcoming to LGBT type of people, especially in large scale commercial cannabis companies. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, you know, as a family, we've decided to step away from that. Um, yeah. And we do our own personal cleanup um, that people can reach out to if you have HLVD or any type of viruses um, that you need to be cleaned out of your plants and stuff. You know, we have a whole thing uh, separate, obviously, um, to handle that kind of thing. But it's all internal. Um, the company I'm working for now is large scale agriculture. Um, I can't tell you what plants we're working with, but they're very common ornamental plants that you see all of the time, mm. potentially ones that when you have burns, they heal the burn, but I can't say what kind. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, I'm doing more large scale agricultural biotech. Um, we grow plant cells in large scale fermenting tanks, um, and harvest their chemicals out of them. Um, so yeah, that's what we're doing. <laughs> Interesting. Now, Not, yeah, on the topic, uh, like to backstep to the GMOs and then to talk about cannabis. Do do you know of or do you think that's something that's happening in the space? I'm I'm ignorant to it. I've personally done it, and I know of at least five other companies that are doing it already. There is a patent in Canada already for. Uh, fermenting tanks of cell cultures of plants that can produce those compounds. And they've already genetically modified yeast to be able to produce all of the compounds found in the plant. Wow. So it's definitely been done already. Now it's trying to get to a commercial state. So they were able to do it, but they're not able to outperform a farm. So now their next goals are to actually produce a productible amount that's comparable in price to other people. Now, is this like I'm going to be able to at some point get like a Girl Scout cookie broccoli phenotype here? Or what are we what are we looking at? No, no, you'll <laughs> you won't even know as the consumer. You'll just get a cartridge, like an oil cartridge. And it'll um, be like created through like self-suspension cultures. Technically, it's not GMO unless we put genes inside of it. But if we're just, you know, using tissue culture to make the cells and then the cells produce the compound. It's a completely natural compound that requires no regulation, which and, is fantastic because there's no need to regulate that. And would there be any uh, differential in the compound's efficacy or will it just be the same? Yeah. Nope. They're definitely different. And because it's in a liquid culture like our mycelium, we can add components to it to manipulate what they're making. So in some of these cases, like feeding things peptones, and feeding them hormones, it actually creates new novel um, essential oils or new compounds that have never even existed in plants. Wow. Um, so it definitely can change it. Um, and then usually everything is through like distillation and purification. So like when you get your final chemical of like CBD, um, it's already been purified and stripped of everything else. So you are getting pure chemically the same CBD as if it were grown off the plant. Makes sense. Gotcha. Yeah. Now to shift, you did mention, and I was, I have it on my list here, but let's talk about it now. So you are a cactus fanatic. I have to say you were probably the, like one of the two precursors to what I have now. I have probably well over, let's just say something like, you know, 50 cactus, mostly, um, Trichocerus patchinoi. And I've got like some, the Burgesses, the Burgessi, I don't know how to say these. I got the Peruvianus. I've got some peyote buttons that I baby as well. And, um, you were the first person that I ever saw doing tissue culture on cactus. Can you talk a little bit about that and and talk about how cool that is? 
I will. I'll definitely say I'm, I'm not the one, though. I definitely think I shown the most um, through my YouTube, honestly, through any forum, because we also, yeah, we have our YouTube, our Instagram, our Patreon, as far as Cacti Fanatici. Um, uh, I saw that other people were already doing um, tissue culture of Lophophora, which obviously, I don't know what it is, but it seems like people that are really into mushrooms get really into cacti, which is fantastic. It's yeah. like a natural trend for us is to go into there. Right. Um, and uh, when, yeah, I saw a couple of counts. Um, Chavin the herbalist obviously is a fantastic tissue culturist um, from Brazil. Um, and they always show, showed a bunch of trichotrichus and bridgesii, a couple of sephora and tissue culture. So I knew it was able to be done. There is a paper also published by university kind of showing how it was able to done. Um, and, you know, I'm, I am a great tissue culturist. I've, I've tissue cultured well over 200 species of fruit trees, medicinal plants, um, you name it, uh, ferns, mosses, all types of things. Um, and I, you know, I kind of just wanted to figure out if I could crack it. And I did. So we were able to make what we call embryogenic cultures. So, um, the seeds have inside of them em like an embryogenic tissue, which is like stem cells in humans. Um, and then we were able to get those to all turn into pups. So from one seed, I was actually able to make over 500 um, from it. Wow. That's, um, that's really interesting. Considering the, uh, you know, the preservation act around um, sacred mm -hmm. plants like that too. But we're, go ahead and continue. What were we going to say? Yeah, no, uh, just that they, they acclimate super well, which is fantastic. Sometimes with certain plants and tissue culture, you can't just take them out of the container and then plant them. But the cactuses are super resilient. So it, it's been fantastic to actually be able to even share some of these plants that, you know, are not accessible to anybody or their prices are so high and to produce it in tissue culture. And then they can either graft it or, or plant it out. Um, it's fantastic. And, and I've dabbled into lots plants um i've had some mimosa hostilis trees and culture for a long time um and we were actually able to make root cultures out of them um you can see where i was going with that already to see yeah. if you know there was potential for you know large-scale tissue culture to be used for the you know production of certain compounds um that is on pause you know waiting for these laws to pass a little bit more yeah. um but um lots of medicinal plants um, psychoactive plants that are not registered yet, right? Um, lots of different things. You know, even coffee, we've had coffee and chocolate, which are very psychoactive mm. um, in culture. Um, and it's a great way for preservation, small space. You know, we're, we're starting to enter into the ornamental house market, right? I have some uh, variegated monsteras going. Yes. Um, the tissue culture is great for space saving and, like you said, kind of preservation of rare medicinal plants um, or endangered plant um, tissue culture is a way to, you know, bring back those populations. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I've seen uh, the variegated um, plants such as like the monsteras. I've seen plants for $5,000 or more. Yeah, I literally bought like a node with no leaves, nothing on it for $200. <laughs> and you just cultured and, it out? Uh, well, yeah, I actually planted that one first, grew it up, and then I cultured it out. But yeah, now I have them in culture. I have a plant as well. So for people like, you know, if you're trying to generate extra income and stuff, you know, that that's another way. And it's 
playing back into the mycology, tissue culture is a little more advanced. But if you have the technique to work through mycology and sterileness and you have a flow hood, you're already 90% there to do tissue culture. The only thing you're missing is instead of making, you know, mushroom agar, you're making plant agar. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a great, just to tie them in together. If you're into mycology, you should be into plant tissue culture. <laughs> gotcha. You already have all the supplies. Yeah, it makes sense. Buy the media. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Now I have a question, mycology related. And as far as tissue culture, because of the work you do now, do you find that when you're trying to, you know, let's say like trying to find like a monoculture of something, I see most people will, and what I do generally is just, I just rip the fruit in, in half and I'll take tissue from, you know, the stipe area. Do you find that like you want to take it from any particular part? Like, you know, I, I know that term, the meristematic, like the furthest top growth. Like, what do you, what are your, what are your thoughts on that? And do you find that that's a, a way to isolate something better or do you prefer running something from spore to try to isolate it? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a double question, I guess. Uh, yeah. So I definitely prefer, if I'm trying to isolate something that I like, right. If I grew up something and it looked really nice, exactly what you're saying. I'll rip it in half, take directly from the center of the stem and keep doing that over and over and over through fruiting. Um, through spore, it's complicated in my opinion because when you start from spore, your genetics are so rich. So yeah. even if you take that center cut, you definitely have a lot more to go before you're going to isolate something super solid, in my opinion. Yeah. Now, as of recent, whenever yeah. I've tried to clone something, you know, I, it just comes out smaller. I'm like, fuck. What's going on here? And the one time, the one time that I got a, a, it was a Jack Frost and I was like, I'm just going to run, or I had, I had one single large fruit in a tub and I was like, I'm just going to run this one back from Spore. I ran it back and every single fucking fruit was, was monstrous. And it's the Jack Frost giant pheno that I have. So I always like to ask people, this is something I really want to talk with. Like, um, I want to talk about with bass, uh, basidium, basidium equilibrium on Instagram. Um, Yeah. He's doing good work. Yeah. But uh, I mean, it's always good to get other people's um, feedback, but yeah. And, and I'm not an isolator actually. I'm on the opposite side. So um, I am not about creating strains that way or anything like that. Um, I prefer other people to do, you know, all of that work for the most part. And then I actually have almost the opposite approach. And when I'm making my liquid culture or I'm making my, I only use liquid culture. I don't use agar really. Um, I actually try to put as much different locations of the mycelium into my liquid culture so that the genetic pool is larger Mm, because I want the culture that somebody gave me. Right. So like if I got your Jack Frost giant, I want to make sure that I'm maintaining that culture. So I provide more genetics in there to keep its stability. Yeah. Rather than keep pulling it apart and isolating and isolating and isolating because I mean, usually when you isolate long enough, it's fine, but you might isolate a really great fruit that sucks. Yeah. You know, so it's not always the look of it, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a liquid culture person. I, you know, especially coming from like fermentation, we do a lot of like growth phases of the liquid culture. We know when to start them, when to stop them to get that maximum growth. I know a lot of people like to, you know, max out their liquid culture and they pull their syringe full, full, full max, but 
that's not the belief that I come from. Um, more is not better. It's actually about the growth phase um, yep. that's more important than anything. Right. Understood. Yeah. I mean, I love the big, thick, you know, milky syringes. Like that's what I go for. But um, it's kind of a tech, like I find that there's like somewhat of a capacity in your jar, your media that the mycelium is going to take you to. And you're kind of, it's going to max, it almost maxes out. I would say at like 75 to 80% most of the time. And then I do have extra uh, liquid media mm-hmm. kind of floating around in there. You got to kind of like do multiple pulls. I'm even sitting there most of the time and I'm pulling syringes that are full of just the liquid nutrient and then towards the end is when i'm actually getting the mycelium but um Mm -hmm. but with that said and breeding and stuff like that's my jam i love it and i just bred the steel magnolia ghost the full metal ghost i would love to gift Mm -hmm. you a syringe so make sure to send me uh when you send that cordyceps uh recipe go ahead and send me your address and i'll and i'll send you a syringe perfect for sure yeah it's a really cool one i really enjoy it and um makes me super happy now on the topic of the uh entheogenic plants or psychedelics or psychoactive plants what do you uh what's your what's your favorite and do you have any like growth stories or any like uh healing journey stories that have come from any of that that you'd want to share of course no (laughs) (laughs) no i mean uh you know i'll definitely talk as a i had a really great life uh i had a great family and support system um and for me personally, I haven't needed yet to take mushrooms in such a therapeutic type of way. Yeah. Um, I definitely understand the ability um, and the importance and everything like that. But um, as far as like a moment like that, no. Um, you know, back in the day, you know, I used to take a lot of LSD. Um, and, you know, that was always fantastic going into the woods and adventuring. Yeah. Um, but I've just, you know, fizzled out into just the regular, regular plants and mushrooms. Gotcha. Well, I was, I always got to ask, it's part of the show and a part of the show that we always end on. Um, I have two, two questions. First question is what is your current viewpoint of the status or state of the union as far as the mushroom? And this could be medicinal or gourmet, uh, community. And where do you see it going in one, three or five years? And how do you, and do you want to be a part of it? And how do you plan on being a part of it? Yeah. Um, I would definitely say to go back on that TV show, The Last of Us. Um, I think that that hurt us a lot um, mm. and created a lot of, what is the word? When Myco- mycophobia. Yeah. Mycophobia. Um, I know lots of people that were growing cordyceps that were harassed like actually like aggressively harassed um, because they're growing cordyceps and things like that. So people are definitely more vocal about, you know, mushrooms are not good and they have the potential, but at the same time, there's obviously more of like the, the therapeutic uses that are coming out. Um, and I think it, it is coming. I think it's going to definitely depend on our political stance as a country. Um, and depending on one way, I definitely could see it, you know, becoming legal um, in general, you know, for therapeutic mushrooms and entheogenic plants within the next like two years. And then say we have the opposite political side that comes in there. I think you're looking at well into five to seven years for sure. Agreed. Um, as much as it feels so hopeful. And the problem is I, I talk to all these people and they're like, oh, next year, like one year, two years. And I'm like, yeah, but don't forget that your circle of people are people that want that to happen are very enthusiastic, which is great. 
but I feel like that the perspective is skewed, right? Because you're yeah. always there, you're always hearing about it, you're listening, you're like, oh, we're so close. But uh, for me, I'm following cannabis. Yeah. Um, the exact same way that cannabis became legal is how mushrooms were becoming legal, the decriminalization patterns, the licensing, the taxes. Now that there's actual, you know, in Oregon, they have a licensed facility now. Yeah. Um, so we can see how the government's going to take taxes and say, it's identical. If not, it's more aggressive than cannabis. Yeah. Um, so personally, I find that that trend will be identical. It's coming. It's just going to either take two or seven years. And it'll definitely depend on, you know, who's coming into power next. Understood. Yeah. In my opinion, yeah, yeah, no, we and should. I definitely want to be a part of it. Yeah, so, same. Yeah, that's why, like, we're here with our, with our grains. We're ready to go. Um, I do a bunch of consulting for edible, medicinal. We do tissue culture consulting. Um, so we're ready to really help the infusion space, right? Yeah. Through either products, materials, education, outreach. Um, I do a couple speaking at universities, and sometimes I'll bring it up in like smaller groups. So it's a little bit of, you know, just the education. That's awesome, man. Well, as an educator myself, I think it's probably the most pivotal point because one, there is so many, you know, people providing product and that, that in itself is, you know, hit or miss dependent upon where you go. Um, not only that, finding cultures and things of that nature, but um, the education, if it's sound, you know, starting now and then building into the future, if you're a reliable source, I think that's going to open up so many doors. And I definitely see you as that. Like I've always learned so much from you and just even just in this podcast, I've been blown away with some of the things you've done. So I'm like, wow. So yeah, I look forward to that. And, um, (laughs) our last question here on the podcast is, and this can be as short winded or long form as you want, but in your life, in what ways are um, or, or what things are you doing to grow in mind, body, spirit, and mushroom? What am I doing in my life to grow? You're asking. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, your physical, yeah. your mental, spiritual, whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, what I've realized right now in the past, like two to three years, which has really helped me in all of those places, especially, um, just kind of having like peace of mind is my support group. Um, I've Mm. really been focusing on getting quality people, either as friends or employees or, you know, just networking people that I can trust on, I can count on. Um, That's kind of been my biggest thing. You know, I'm I'm originally from Ohio. I'm not from California. So um, it's been really not as easy, obviously, to meet people and have the same interests and things. So now that I've been focusing on, you know, being more part of the community, the community that I want to be part of, at least, um, has helped me a lot by having the right people, you know, in my everywhere, literally within the people that are in my life are helping my business, the people that are in my business are helping my life. So it's, it's a really nice full circle of trust. Um, and that, yeah, that's pretty much it. You know, I don't work out or anything like that. So it's mostly, <laughs> you know, the the connections that I'm making that are really helping me in general, just have peace of mind, you know, having someone to call, right. If I, I didn't have that before, but now that I'm kind of been in the micro community, if I'm having a bad day, like I already have three people I know I can call that, yeah. that are just going to kind of listen and support and not judge or, you know, sometimes you talk to people and they start giving you all this, 
like here you should have done that you should have done that like these are people that are just there to listen mm-hmm. to events and things like that so you know that that's what i would say is my number one is just finding quality people that i can trust on and count on um as far as friends family and work i love that and I think you covered all the bases because if you have someone there to support you mentally, emotionally, it's going to clear you up, you know, uh, in your feelings, your hormonal regulation, which is going to lead to better physical state, which if you're more physically, emotionally free, you're going to be more spiritually open. So I think you covered all grounds and I think that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. It's a community is so important. Friend groups are so important and yeah, finding people you can trust and have them when you're, when you're in your need and, it's, you know, it's reciprocated, you know, they know that you're there for them as well. So I like that, man. Yeah. Well, dude, yeah. Mr. Michael Blast, King of Corn. I just wanted to thank you again for your time, for all your energy information. Uh, thank you for everything you've taught me and that you're going to teach me in the future. And at some point in time, if you'd like to come back on the show, you are more than welcome. And um, awesome. <laughs> this is, this is a, a, like a 30 second time frame minute where you can plug uh, all your social media outlets. Where can people find you? What's your website, your business, anything you want to plug, go ahead and plug it away. Perfect. So our grain business, again, through Instagram is at Los Malos Eloteros. There's an underscore in between each of those, um, you know, words. For my cactus and plant culture stuff, you can follow me at Cacti Fanatici. Um, and then for my everyday craziness, you can follow my at Michael Blast underscore 2.0. The hater got me. Um, yeah. And you can you can see me there. You won't see too many fruits or anything now on there like I used to. But, you know, it's still great to see my stories, I think. And you'll always hear, you know, it's corn cooking time. So <laughs> it'll be good. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, I hope everybody uh, enjoyed this episode. If you guys did, go check out all of Mr. Michael Blast's uh, pages and support him as much as possible. And my friend, have a good rest of your week and an amazing weekend. Good luck on your move. And again, congratulations on your engagement and, uh, man, so much, so much good stuff, uh, coming to you in the future. (laughs) Thank you. You too. You too. It's been fantastic. I love the work you do. Those cultures are killing it. Thank you. Thank you. Keep it up. Yeah. Appreciate you, man. All right. Well, have a good day and I'll talk to you later. All right. All right. Thanks. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this episode of the Microtrophic Podcast. I hope that you enjoyed and then you'll join me for the next episode. So make sure to subscribe and to leave us a five-star review. You'll have the chance of being featured on our next episode's first segment of Shoutouts and Reviews. You can also find me on Instagram at Microtrophic Podcast. You can also find me on YouTube at youtube.com forward slash Microtrophic. Also, you can join a growing community of 300 plus like-minded individuals on my Patreon at patreon.com slash mycotrophic for exclusive content, giveaways, and a community of new and experienced growers sharing growing technique, experience, and just having a sense of community, a safe environment to express yourself. And we're all doing this on our community Patreon Discord server. So until next time, namaste, have a good day. Don't contemplate, meditate. See you on the next one. Peace.